Let's open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 41. It's where we're going to start. And then from there we'll move into uh, John 13 while also looking at Psalm 109. So if you've got three fingers, you can put them all uh, in the Word. Now over the last uh, few weeks, we've been in, you know, remember we're revisiting the Psalms on a regular basis. There are just there are so many and they are so rich that, that it will take years to, to look at them all in some fashion. But we've looked at a Psalm or a portion of a psalm, and then either the reference or its equivalent in the New Testament. Remember last week, um, Dan started talking about the tongue and then went to James. And, and you know, I, now, now when I preach, I just assume you're all listening intently and, and you know, your mind never wanders. Um, but Dan read the passage from Psalms, and all I could think of was, growing up, the kids watched, the girls watched these videos from Steve Green, and they were songs and one of the songs was, keep your tongue from evil, keep your tongue and your lips from speaking lies. And to sing it, all the kids grabbed their tongues. Keep your tongue from evil, keep your tongue. And they sang it that way. And I'm sitting there, and it's just running over in my head and over in my head. I eventually got back to what he was dealing with. <laughs> but it just shows you that the power, you know, keep your tongue from evil. Because the tongue is a terrible, can be a terrible thing. So we come to Psalm 41. And Psalm 109, which we'll, we'll glance at, and its reference and its equivalent in John 13. So if you're able, would you stand with me, and I will read the Word of God. Our Heavenly Father, open our eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray, that we might see not just the black and white that it's before us on the page, but see with eyes of, of, uh, that have been opened by you with hearts that are tender to live in the way that you call us to, uh, with, with hearts that are ready to embrace the fact that you are in control of everything, that you are working out your purposes in this world, and you will use whatever means you deem appropriate to fulfill them. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 41, and I will read all the psalm. This is a psalm of David. How blessed is he who considers the helpless. The Lord will deliver him in a day of trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive. And he shall be called blessed upon the earth. And do not give him over to the desires of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed. In his illness thou dost restore him to health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. My enemies speak evil against me. When will he die and his name perish? And when he comes to see me, he speaks falsehood. His heart gathers wickedness to itself. When he goes outside, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt, saying, A wicked thing is poured out upon him, that when he lies down, he will not rise up again. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But thou, O Lord, be gracious to me, and raise me up, that I may repay them. By this I know that thou art pleased with me, because my enemy does not shout and triumph over me. As for me, thou dost uphold me in my integrity, thou dost set me in thy presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. 
This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. So if you've got your fingers there, we'll be turning back and forth to uh, once, once we cover a little bit of the history. Now we have two passages represented, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, and they are two instances of betrayals, of betrayals. Uh, the first one in Psalm 41 refers to the time where David was betrayed by his former advisor Ahithophel, Ahithophel. When David's son Absalom decided that it was time for him to be king and he was going to tell David to hit the road and David had to flee from Jerusalem, his former advisor Ahithophel sided with Absalom. Okay? He sided there with Absalom. And you can, you can reference this later in your own devotions. This is 2 Samuel 15, 16, and 17 gives us the narrative of this. And I'm just going to kind of give us a quick overview of what happens here. And, and why do we look at this in relation to John 13? Because Ahithophel is a type in the Old Testament. Now, there are different, when I say a type, it's a type is an individual or an action in the Old Testament that points to a fulfillment in the New Testament. So we have, uh, as an example, oil uh, in the Old Testament is a type for the Holy Spirit in the New. Um, Joseph is a type of Jesus from the Old into the New. Remember, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He comes back and eventually saves his brothers in the end. So we see Jesus uh, and, and, other, and, and, and the Holy Spirit and other things kind of um, lived out in these Old Testament individuals and practices, but it's not as if the Old Testament, as if Joseph ran around going, you know what, I'm a type of, of the Savior. Did you know that? No, he, he didn't know that. But we can look back through Jesus and see that these things are pointing to the fulfillment. Ahithophel is a type of Judas Iscariot. And we'll see this in Psalm 109 as well. Now, Ahithophel was, as I said, one time the closest advisor to King David. In fact, the Old Testament says that the counsel of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was if a man had inquired of the oracle of God. So Ahithophel was not a prophet, but when he spoke, he was wise. Uh, what's the old commercial? The E.F. Hutton, E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. So uh, when Ahithophel some of you younger don't even know what, what that is, do you? Okay. Um, so when Ahithophel spoke, it was as if you went and inquired of God himself and get counsel that way. So David felt free to go to Ahithophel and discuss all his troubles and his problems and how to live these things out. And um, it was as the counsel came right from God. And yet this was the individual who conspired with Absalom to destroy David. And get rid of him. Now remember, Ahithophel was one of those guys who ate at David's table. And we'll see how important this is a little bit later. He ate with him. He ate from the very food that was served to the king. Ahithophel ate that. He was welcomed into David's table. Come and sit with me. Come and eat with me. Come under my protection as well. Now, one little known fact is that Ahithophel 
was Bathsheba's grandfather. So he may have secretly harbored some hatred, some resentment towards David. I mean, maybe he really liked uh, Bathsheba's first husband, and, and they were really close or something. And he, you know, he found out the story and said, well, you went and killed him, and I'm just going to bide my time until I can find a good place to get back at you. Could have been like that. But it's also Ahithophel who suggests to Absalom, I'm going to say this as, as delicately as I can, that he should take, when David left Jerusalem, it was Ahithophel's counsel that Absalom should take all of David's concubines and go out on the roof in plain sight of all Jerusalem and be with them. Okay? So in the same way, maybe this was payback for what David did in secret with Bathsheba. He wanted Absalom to do in public as a sign of David's sin. So Absalom makes this public statement that he is now king. And Ahithophel recommended the action. It was bad counsel. And David had prayed to the Lord as he left Jerusalem. Lord, make, and I'm paraphrasing, make Ahithophel's counsel bad. Okay, Make it lead Absalom away from the truth and that, that David might return. So when David fled the city... Absalom went and took all his concubines and wasted his time with them instead of pursuing David when he had the military advantage. Okay? So the counsel from Ahithophel was bad. David escaped and came back to reclaim the throne. And it's an important thing to remember the way that Ahithophel died. As far as I could find, in the Old Testament, he is the only person who purposely went out and hung himself. Ooh, sounds a lot like Judas, doesn't it? Yeah. So David was betrayed on several other occasions. In Psalm 52, Psalm 55, lay those out. So this psalm and another that we're going to look at in just a moment fulfill the prophecy that is in John 13. So keep your finger here and let's turn over to John 13 now. And you'll know that this is the the Last Supper, and so you know the context of what's going on here, and I'm just going to read a little bit through it so you understand what exactly is happening here. Um, So let's let's just start at verse 1 of chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. Now before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, girded himself about. Now you understand, this is the washing of the feet. This is where the, the, the lowest slave in the household washes the feet. This is the humblest action that Jesus could have done in demonstration of his love for his disciples. Then he poured water into the basin, verse 5. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? 
And Jesus answered and said, What I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. And Peter said, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus says, Well, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part of me. And Simon Peter said, Well, then, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Okay, but not all of you. So he begins to, to, in a sense, lay out his cards here about what is going to happen. Verse 11, For he knew the one who was betraying him, and for this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments, now he washed all their feet. So here he comes, and, and this is just an aside, here he comes to Judas, who he knows is going to betray him, who he knows he's going to turn him over to, to the Romans. And he's washing his feet. Now think of that. And we, we might go and we might wash one another's feet on, on Monday, Thursday, um, and we've done so in the past, but it's, you know, those are our friends and those are people that we know. But here is Judas who is about to betray him in the worst possible fashion. But yet Judas, Jesus washes his feet as well. Verse 12. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments, he reclined at the table and again. And he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. For I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet. You ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Okay, if you know them, then you're blessed. If you do them, so you have to know and then do. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scriptures may be fulfilled. So here here is the crux of all this. The reason that Jesus is doing all of this, the reason that these things are happening is so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. We just read that in Psalm 41. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples began to look at one another at a loss to know which one he was speaking of. There was reclining on Jesus' breast one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. He, leaning back, thus on Jesus' breast, said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus therefore answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, And after the morsel, Satan then entered him. So understand, Judas is not some puppet of Satan at this moment. Satan has not entered him. He's just a guy who wants his own way. He's a guy who is sinful and looks at all the things that Jesus has done. Three years he's been there. He has seen the miracles. He saw the 5,000. He saw Jesus on the water. He's seen all of this, but yet his heart is unchanged. 
Because he's what? He's not clean. That's what it says here. Not all of you are clean. Not all of you are called according to God's purposes in this room. And Judas has seen all this. And he is just, he's, if maybe he's frustrated with Jesus. Maybe he's just looking for power or looking for something. But he's looking for his own way and his own purposes. And it's not until now that Satan enters him. And Jesus looks and says, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this. Remember, all these things have happened. And Judas said what? Or Jesus said, going to Jerusalem and what's going to happen? Going to die. And his disciples are going, what's he mean by that? You know, he says, tear down this temple in three days and going to raise it up. What's he mean by that? And, and all this, he says, the one who I'm going to dip and I'm going to serve is the one who's going to betray me. And he gives it to Judas and the disciples go, what do you think he means by that? Yeah. Okay. This is the betrayal of Jesus by Judas, prophesied in verse or Psalm 41. Let's turn now to Psalm 109. Now we wonder how can we say that Judas is in Psalm 41 and Psalm 109? Because Jesus says He's in Psalm 41. And Peter in Acts chapter 1 says he's in Psalm 109. And they're pretty good uh, references there. I mean, if Jesus says this is what it is, then that's what it is. So in Psalm 109, now, now you uh, may remember that we, we covered Psalm 109 to some degree in the past. Um, we, nobody likes Psalm 109. So when we did the series on passages nobody likes to preach on Psalm 109 was part of that because Psalm 109 is a pretty nasty psalm it is not one of those that um, uh, you read to your kids let's read you know your kids say hey let's read some of the Bible tonight great you don't open up Psalm 109 and read it to them okay so uh, let me let me cover some of the highlights here in Psalm 109 it is a psalm of David and it's a psalm where he's being betrayed. And as I said, it's an imprecatory psalm. He just calls down judgment upon this individual. He says, O God of my praise, be not silent, for they've opened the wicked and deceitful mouth against me. They've spoken against me with a lying tongue. They've also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without cause. In return for my love, they act as my accusers. But I'm in prayer. So David says, I'm I'm trying to be faithful here. I'm trying to have my heart right before this, even though they are doing these things to me. Verse 6, appoint a wicked man over him. So it goes from them to him. So we're down to one person now suddenly in verse 6. Appoint a wicked man over him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few. Let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children wander about and beg. Let them seek sustenance far from their ruined homes. Let the creditors seize all that he has and let strangers plunder the product of his labor. Let there be none to extend loving kindness to him, nor any to be gracious to his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off in a following generation. Let their name be blotted out. Just think how, you know, do that to your kids and send them off to sleep with that on their minds. Okay? 
but yet it is God's inspired word. And we, we, we've wrestled with it in the past, but Peter says Judas is in these passages because these are the, the threat and the, what the betrayal is simply too great for a regular person. Now, there might be somebody David is referencing here. It might be Ahithophel again, but Peter says it's Judas he's really referencing because he's a type. He's a type of, uh, he's a type of what's presented in the Old Testament here. And it is a betrayal that is done to Jesus in the most terrible ways. You know, and again, we, we don't, we can't feel sorry for Judas. I mean, to some degree we do. Somebody who is that lost and sees so much evidence of grace and compassion lived out right before them. But, but his heart was never changed. I mean, how is it that, that you could see such ministry and see such work and be the, the recipient of such love but still be bitter enough to betray the one who heals the one who has raised the dead, the one who has walked upon the waters. Let his day be few. Let his days be few. Let his children be fatherless, his wife a widow. Let his children continually be wander around, be vagabonds, wander around far from their home. <clears throat> Back to John 13. I don't speak of all of you. Jesus says, I know the ones I'm chosen. This is verse 18 of 13, chapter 13. I don't speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And understand, we, we, we go back, understand what it meant to be at somebody's table, to eat with them. To be invited into their home, that they have prepared food for you, and and then to give it to you. Now that's it's it's nice today. I mean, we just there are so many great people in this church, and to, and to be invited into homes and to just be the recipient of their hospitality and their love and their care, and it, it's just fantastic. But it doesn't come to the level that it did in the ancient Middle East. And we see probably no better experience or no better illustration of this than Lot and the angelic visitors that came to his house, Genesis 18, 19. You know, the visitors came and, and Lot took them into his house. He was willing to give up his daughters to protect them. Now, that, that's a cultural thing, and I'm not going to say that I'm willing to give up any of my girls uh, to protect you if you come into my house. But understand, that was a cultural thing. But that's the level to which it extended at that time. That if you came into my house, you were under my protection. And here, Jesus feeds Judas. He gives him his bread. And he turns against him. Well, that's because... Judas, Judas was like his real father. His real father was not our Heavenly Father. His real father was Satan. And his heart became full of Satan as we have read here. Jesus said the real blessing is not just in knowing and understanding 
but in doing the things that he enables us to do. Do what his, he has commanded. Good works pour from a heart that has been changed. A heart that has been changed. And they are a great benefit to the Christian. Good works are a great benefit from the Christian. And we're studying justification in the Sunday school class today. So, you know, those of you who are there, you're getting a double dose. Here's justification. If you're working to get on God's good side, you are an offense to God. If you think you can somehow merit salvation because of the good works that you do, that is an offense to God. God comes and changes your life. Then you do the things which give him glory because of the grace that has come to you. You can't get in God's good graces on your own works. It's like God says, here, Rand, I've given you my grace and, and I, I, I give you my righteousness, and my son has died for you, so that, and, and he is what? The way, and the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through him. And I've made all of this for you, but you turn and go, Yeah, but Lord, I'm going to try to get there on my own because I think my works are good enough to get there on my own. God says, That's, that's just an insult to God. But for the life that has been changed, the one whose eyes have been opened to the God's grace, the grace that come to, comes to us only through Jesus Christ, then our hearts are ready to do the things that give him glory. They don't get us any closer to God. They are for his glory. We already have the salvation. We are already justified. Our lives have been changed by his mercy and by his grace. So Judas is living out what was prophesied long ago. What we see from the Old Testament, the scriptures are fulfilled in the New Testament. Now it's difficult to prove a negative, logically, things like that. So I went and I tried to find the least popular baby name. It's easy to find the most popular names, okay, and they change off and on. So I went to find the least popular, but, but they only list the top 100. Judas is not in the top 100 baby names. So I, I did a little bit more searching. Now, you know, you know, in some cultures, they still name their children Adolf. In, in Austria, there are still kids named Adolf. Uh, Benedict is more of an Italian name, Benedict Arnold. We, we, you know, we do, typically don't name our kids Adolf or Benedict. But I, I went and, and wanted to see, is there anybody that names their children Judas? Okay. Uh, in, and the, the only thing I could find, in, nine, in 2012, there were 21 babies, baby boys born in the United States that were given the name Judas. How'd you like to go to school with that? You know, maybe up north they, they wouldn't know. Down in the south, okay, we wouldn't know. Judas? What's your middle name? You know, Iscariot? You know, gosh, that's awful. Poor kid. To become a symbol of all that is dishonorable, all that is, is full of betrayal and treacherous in human relationships. Just think about that. And remember, we looked a couple weeks ago the story of the Judas sheep. In, in New Zealand, when it's time to harvest the, the flock and the sheep, they put a bell on the Judas sheep, and he leads them into the slaughterhouse. He goes out the door, they stay in the slaughterhouse. Okay, because that's his job is to betray all of his friends, the sheep. 
The actions of Judas were foretold long before he was ever born. And his act of betrayal, as bad as it was, was simply the fulfillment of the Father's will and our plan for salvation. How were we going to be saved? The Son of God had to give his life to atone for our sins. So as we get ready for Easter, as we get closer to Easter, we remember his betrayal. We remember his suffering, his death, his resurrection. He was the payment for our sins. And all of this was planned long before we ever got here. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what... What love is this that Christ should give his life for us? For us. Because we're not that far from Judas. In fact, without your grace, we are just the same. Out there trying to make our own way, doing it right in our own eyes. But it's not until you open those eyes, you pour your grace upon us and we are in an instant changed from an enemy to a child of God through the work of Jesus Christ. Today, Lord, we come before you and we stand in awe of this love and of this mercy that we should be recipients of it, that our hearts should be enlivened, that our eyes should be opened, to the realization that before the foundations of the world, you had called us, you had chosen us. And your grace now rests upon our lives. There are great responsibilities with that, that our lives be holy, that our works be unto the things of Christ, that they would reflect this grace and mercy in our lo- that's been given to us, that all that we do, all that we say, would be for your purposes. For these are the things that you have prepared for us to do from before the foundations of the world. Heavenly Father, make our hearts tender to those whose eyes have not been opened yet. Family members or friends or people that we work with. We pray, Lord, that we're faithful instruments. That when the opportunity comes, we can present the things of Christ. That we may speak the words of Scripture. That we may relate what you have done in our hearts. And that the character of our lives would not discount the words of Scripture and the words of salvation. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.